Hi, I'm Ann Faison, and this is Are We There Yet? Understanding Adolescent Grief. Today's guest is another old friend, but Laura and I fell out of touch when she moved to New York in 2000. We switched coasts, which I think is interesting, because I think many people who have an early loss move far from home. But in all my years of seemingly being a magnet for people who lost a parent young, Laura's the only person I know personally who lost a sibling as a young person. She wasn't a teenager, but I think sibling loss is really misunderstood and rarely talked about. So I wanted to do an episode on it, even if Laura was a little older when her brother died. And we've been talking about doing this for a while, but Laura is very busy. She's an entrepreneur who travels a lot for business. And so I'm very grateful she was able to take the time to talk today. So hi, Laura, and welcome to Are We There Yet? Hi, Anne Jason. Thank you for having me. So I'd love to orient our listeners a little bit by having you tell us about your brother and your relationship to him while he was alive. Yeah, of course. So my brother, his name was Michael, uh, was three years younger than me, although he was always, for as far back as I can remember, played kind of the role of, of my sage. Um, he died in 1993. He was 20 years old and I was 23, um, just about to turn 24. He liked to ride trains. He, he liked to do things that, that took him to the edge. And one of them is that he used to like to jump on passenger trains and he was riding trains. Um, he was in a, in a, train yard in, in Oakland and was attacked very, very randomly. And, and he was killed. That was on August 2nd, 1993. Hmm. And just backing up a little bit, like what was your relationship like with him? You said he was kind of the leader or the sage, you said. What could you tell a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think that my brother and I, had always been close, um, close while we were growing up. I moved to Spain for a period when I was in my late teens, early 20s. And I think it was during that time um, that he became a he became an adult. Mm-hmm. I, there was a shift in our relationship. And I, and I really saw it and started to experience it when I moved back to Los Angeles after those, those years in Spain. And so we had a few years um, of, of having kind of, we just got to touch on what our relationship was going to look like, what it looked like outside of the family unit mm. and the independence of adulthood and how the roles that we, we played as children was going to translate into, into adulthood. Mm. Um, and he was, he, he taught me things. Mm, Like what? You know, he had a very, he had a very particular way of, of looking at things. I think that he, he wanted to learn and he wanted to explore and he did it. I think that it was challenging for him when he was younger. I think that high school was a hard time for him in terms of, he didn't learn the way or the most prescribed way. I think that I was always very school smart and I got good grades without trying. And for Michael, it was very different. 
I think that he wasn't great doing things in other people's structure. Mm. But once he left high school and he had a little bit of room to, to figure out who he was outside of, of those, that very prescribed way of being, he, he really came into his own. He was, he had a, he had thoughts on death. He had thoughts on the good and the bad of everything. He had thoughts on death. He had, he and I had multiple conversations in the years before he died because he really did have this, this tendency to, to push things to the edge. And he did, he did things like he had seen, he became fascinated with grappling hooks, medieval grappling hooks. Wow. And he bought himself a, bought himself a welding machine and taught himself how to weld and made himself a grappling hook and broke into a jewelry store and walked right out the door, not at all interested in the break-in, but interested in the adventure of doing it. Mm. Um, and he did, he did a lot of things like that. And we went through a real period of talking about, you know, me, it was a dialogue that went on and on, but it was, it was, it, or that repeated itself, but it was me saying to him, shit you do freaks me out and him saying this is so wholly part of me that i kind of need you to get on board i kind of need you to recognize it and, and not see this as an accept or or something outside of me this is just all all part of me and i need you to to opt in mm. kind of thing and you know the words that he he said that and so i think that he and i really went through this in the especially intensely this this period in the year before he died, where we talked about all of that, and which ultimately, of course, gave me some some tools in in facing his death and how I understood his death and in in dealing with it in the in the years that followed, but especially at the very beginning, mm. because you'd had those conversations about how he wanted to live his life, and he, it was really his. It just felt like what it was, ha what he had to do. And I think that, you know, even right before he died, I remember he told me he had a story where he was, he was walking on the train, he had a dream and he was walking on the train tracks and he was attacked and he did not come out the victor. And my brother was, he was very strong and very, had a real sense of self and his body. And so for him to not come out the victor meant felt especially poignant mm. but it felt like you know and some and he was in the end attacked from behind i think that he he found some peace there there are lots of lots of signs and and lots of things that happened that that seem a little uncanny in the in the aftermath um just feelings he had about the journey that he was on he had been he had been traveling with a friend um who used to go on on these adventures with him and a day or two, I believe it was the day before he was, he was killed. His friend had said to him, you know, dude, I just, I don't feel good about this. I don't, I don't feel good about this. I don't, I don't think we should continue. And my brother said, I get it. And let's, let's get you on a bus. And, and I just need, I need a couple more days. I need to, I need to finish my journey. Mm. And it was that next day that he was killed. There were, there were things that I think that you get to choose how you look at things. And I never felt particularly spiritual in many ways, but I really, you choose how you look at things. And there, there are things that felt comforting in, in some ways, or that I was able to find comfort in having the sense of that he probably, he somehow had some sense of, of his death 
or he definitely had a, a sense of peacefulness around it, whereas it would, to, to the extent that it would have felt, I think I always felt from the very beginning that it would have felt wrong to participate in his death in a way, or to see it in a way different than I knew that he would see it. Mm. Um, yeah. I think he would have, he would have had peace. Um, and, and it's not like that that automatically clicked and I can say that it's been a peaceful journey these last 29 years all the way through, but it did feel like it was, it was, um, I don't know what the word, like a, a bit of a travesty or that it, it wasn't, it wasn't doing the right thing to, to participate in his death in a way that was different than I, I knew he would have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when you say that he would go on passenger trains, he would just jump on them like from not at the station or like how would he go about getting on these trains yeah he would he would run and jump and sometimes he would miss and mm. <laughs> um but it, but really that he would it, it wasn't like he snuck on when it was when they were at the station for the most part he would he would run after them and they would jump on mm. mm -hmm. and and then just go wherever it was going it was sort of like a not knowing where you're going kind of a journey is that part of it yeah i think it was it was a little bit of a giving in to something bigger than you mm. um and being being taken away i have pictures of him that his that his best friend had taken the day before he died mm. and he's on a box car and he's staring out the window and he's just he's in his element he's in it for what a whatever it was about that particular kind of journey and that particular kind of how he associated with freedom i think that it was it was that that's where he needed to be and that's where he felt good mm. and so were they always were they sometimes just freight trains not not passenger trains they were all sorry i did they were always freight trains okay okay yeah i think you said passenger trains and i was like oh really so there'd be people uh, around okay no he definitely was, not 100 percent freight trains yes right okay got you i drive across the country uh, i drove across the country this summer with my son and um the number of times you see these incredibly long freight trains going is kind of amazing you forget that they're crisscrossing the country all the time and there's something very romantic even just looking at one from the car yeah. <laughs> so i it's a piece of me that understands that desire especially as a 20 something very adventurous young man i could see you know the attraction i guess yeah it's a combination i think between i've never really thought about it this way but a combination between kind of choose your own adventure and then also give give in to the adventure um both of those things kind yeah. of at the same time that i think really really called to him yeah so um i seem to remember at the time you know, when we talked about this years ago, that there were a lot of unanswered questions about how he died or, you know, was the person that ever, that killed him um, ever caught or like, I don't know, I'm just yeah. curious what you were able to find out or what you had to kind of let go of knowing. I will say that there were things that were found out that I don't know about still to this day. I think that it was always, mm -hmm. it, it was never interesting to me to know about how he died. I think part of, or to know any of the details, I think part of my way, part of what I associated my brother 
so much a core part of who he was was how bodily he was and how aware of himself and how strong and how this and and we knew from the beginning that he had been attacked from behind so in my mind i think from the very very beginning i just the moment that he lost his sense of self that he 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 didn't have control of his world and that he was attacked from behind he ceased to be him and so what what happened at that point and what happened beyond that point was never i don't want to say it wasn't interesting to me it just wasn't something that i that, that was i was curious about or that i wanted to participate in um there was a period i mean it was all over the news and it was it was a it was a, it was a story and there was there was a while where we did not know what happened um they did an investigation they they never found what happened and then I could have my timeline a little bit wrong on this, but a few years afterwards, they did catch someone in a different state. Um, somehow I believe he was a Vietnam vet, but I don't know where I have that from. Anyhow, they, they caught him for some other murders. As they extradited him to Oregon, he ultimately ended up confessing to a series of murders, my brother having been one of them, and that's how we found out. I see. Um, I don't really know. I know there was a period where my parents were thinking that they were going to go to the trial and I just I had a very hard time. I can't say that I had a hard time, hard time participating in that. I just, I just opted out. That, that was not for me and I didn't see that as being very productive. In the end, he pled. He pled out. Um, I don't know what he pled out to, but there was no trial and mm. I have no idea what his name is or whatever, yeah. whatever happened with that. Yeah. 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 So interesting. I mean, I think your um, attitude about that is isn't what I would kind of expect. I think so many people do feel like they have to find out what happened or they have to place blame. And I love that you kind of say the minute that, you know, he wasn't in control of his body, he was kind of not him anymore. And it almost doesn't matter what happened after that point. I think that's kind of extraordinary, but a, a, a sort of a beautiful way to look at it. There, there are many levels to which his death just doesn't feel like it had anything to do with him. So I think whoever it was who chose that moment to to attack my brother, he didn't know my brother. He didn't know. It, it just, it didn't have anything. It wasn't part of a bigger, a bigger narrative. He didn't know my brother. So it just felt very, it almost sounds cold to say, but it felt very irrelevant. Mm. Mm. So random. Yeah, but completely yeah. random. And then the, it, it just, it didn't feel like there's, there's no, it wasn't my brother, you know, it didn't have to do with my brother. I just couldn't associate anything that had happened, that it actually happened with my brother. And it wasn't something that I could participate in. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk about how your relationship to your brother has evolved over time? If it has, I mean, sort of what does he mean to you now? And do you feel as though you kind of think about him, talk to him, you know, commune with him in some ways, like, like just comparing how you feel sort of now about him and how you felt, you know, over the years. Yeah, of course. You know, I remember sitting, sitting in a car for some reason with one of my best friends right after he died. And I remember the thing that felt most wrenching, most poignant to me at that moment was was that I would ever feel less close to my brother than I did right then and than I did while he was alive. I think that that was my biggest fear. That was the thing that made me, you know, choke up and sob. Um, 
And so I think that I did make a pretty conscious decision from the very from the very beginning that I was going to find ways that it was going to be important to me to figure out how to keep him in life, how to how to keep him growing, growing with me, mm-hmm. um, or how to keep myself growing with it, with him, with me. Um, I think you know we had that sibling relationship that we did from our early years where we were close. And it's so embedded in who I am and it's so embedded in myself and in my story of who I am. I think, I know you talk a lot, you know, this is about much of this podcast and many of the people you've spoken to, it's about adolescent grief. And I will say that the fact that I was 23 when my brother died, I, I, I had a sense of self as an adult mm. and that sense of self included my brother mm. and there was nothing that could rock that. That, that that was that was there that was part of who I am I was old enough to have really taken that in um and I think that that's I, I you know I, I always find myself I don't want to say that makes it easier it hasn't made it easier but I found that that I think in some ways that's been helpful for me yeah I think also um you know the your brain is really still forming until you're about 25. So I think like 23, 23, you're still, you're on the upper edges of childhood, you know, um, and adolescence. And I do think those years are kind of amazing. They're sort of magic in that you are on the brink of adulthood. You have independence, you, especially you'd traveled to Spain. You really understood that you could kind of move around the world on your own. And your brother clearly had that too. And I think there's so much adventuring that we do at that stage in life that feels a little different than the adventuring we do as you know mature adults. There's there's so much unknown and so much possibility. I think it's a kind of a magical time in our lives. And the fact that your brother died when you were both in that space, I think mm. that's just what I'm getting from how you talk about him is that it's it sort of still has that feeling about it. I think so. There was some way that I just, I felt like I wanted, I certainly felt like I was still growing up. I mean, I still feel like I'm growing up. I just turned 53, but I think (laughs) that, you know, I I felt like I was still growing up and I wanted to bring him, I wanted to bring him on that journey with me. I wanted, I wanted to keep going as best I could with him, with him in tow. And I think that, you know, it's, it's hard. We've all talked about this in a lot of ways. We don't have great rituals for death in, in our culture. Um, My, my family's Jewish, but, but not religious. So there was, there, there was nothing to hold on to in terms of ritual. You know, in the beginning I had, you know, I had my, my best girlfriend, um, her brother and my brother had been best friends as well. And so it was very enmeshed our stories. And And Emma used to have dreams where she would wake up and my brother would be, or, or she'd be in the dream and my brother would be at the foot of the bed talking to her and saying mm-hmm. something to her. Or someone else had said at one point, Michael, I just need to know you're okay and saw an eagle fly overhead at that moment. And I think that although I didn't personally have experiences like that, I couldn't get enough of those experiences that others were having, right? I just, I just wanted to hear more. I wanted, I, it's like everything that could happen that would be a continued experience of my brother, I couldn't have embraced more fully. I wanted, I wanted all of it. And I think as the years, you know, we did, we did lots of different 
lots of different rituals. Uh, you know, in the beginning it was, we would go into the desert and we would plant little time capsules. And I think some years later, my brother and my dad had talked about climbing, climbing to base camp at Everest. And a few years later, my dad decided that he was, he was going to do it. He was still going to go. And mm. I decided I needed to go with him, not to climb, but I needed to go with him to Nepal and I needed to participate in that. I just really couldn't get enough of anything I could grab onto. Mm. Some time around then as well, my dad and I decided that we wanted to go to Oaxaca, to Mexico for Day of the Dead because that that was another it was a holiday that that and a ritual that embraced in a different way and my mom my mom couldn't go she felt she saw the skeletons and she saw and she and she felt like it was more of it my dad and i went and it was the first time although mexico has always been a big part of my family's story it was the first time i had been there for day of the dead and we walked around the graveyards and we saw the grandmothers making margaritas in a blender and we saw the mariachis and we saw this kind of like embrace and participation in death that was something that i had never really seen or experienced and i felt like that was helpful too Mm, I love that. Yeah. I mean, that's your openness to like, let's try different things. Let's see like how do other cultures do it or how to let's try the yeah. All. Yeah. <laughs> the party. I love the margaritas at the gravesite. So great. I mean, I'm kind of curious about your perspective on your parents' grief. I imagine that, you know, losing their son when he was so young must have been so hard. Um, so can you talk a little bit about how that impacted the whole family, including your relationship to your parents and your, your role as the only child? Yeah, absolutely. I think we talk, I think when there's conversations about death, there's a lot of talk about the natural order and how parents dying is hard, but that's, that's the natural order of things and, and losing your child, losing your sibling is not supposed to happen, losing your child. Um, when they're young is really not supposed to happen. And I think that there's there's no framework in which to participate that. I think that, I, I don't wanna say that my grief wasn't all encompassing and all, it didn't hit me the way that it hit my parents. I think that they didn't have the same, they didn't have the same understanding of where he was and his thoughts and his life and as I did, and they definitely didn't understand his need to to be on a train. So I think that there was there was some there was a lot of guilt on my parents' part that maybe they weren't paying enough attention or that they could have done something to stop him. Or so I think there was guilt. I think there was extreme grief. I think that it it was of course it was absolutely devastating. I think that it changed them. To, I, I couldn't even begin to begin to get a sense of, of or begin to explain all the ways that it changed them. I will say one of the things that I find so remarkable about my parents, and my parents always treated my brother and I very differently. Mm. They they treated us as the different people that we were. Mm. And once my brother died, they didn't treat me any differently. So they didn't become more protective. They didn't become more fearful. They didn't, somehow they were able to continue to give me the, the support and the, the support of the meanness that, yeah. that, that they had always given me. And that didn't change, that didn't shift. And I think that as the years go on, that, that seems more and more remarkable to me. I don't know that it was a conscious decision on their part at any point, but they just didn't shift. And even a few years later, when I did decide that I was gonna to move to New York, it wasn't, they didn't grab on harder. They, they wanted me to do what I needed to do, do what I wanted to do. And I think that 
something that comes up a lot now. I have never had the sense of being an only child. Mm. I think again, maybe part of it is I was I was 23 when he died, and so I had my sense of self. Our siblings kind of shape our lives and sense of self, and I had some of that. Um, so I had all these years of not at all feeling like an only child um, until I started dealing with my parents and aging. Mm. And my dad has Alzheimer's. My parents are both in their 80s. It, it's a it's something where there's without you don't have that context in the same shared history yeah. with someone who's not a who's not a sibling. Yeah. Um, and and so for the first time, I started to have the experience of feeling feeling like an only child and the weight of that. But I never felt that up until this time. Mm. Yeah. So when people say like, "Oh, do you have any siblings?" Like, do you ever choose? to not bring him up because you're you sort of know what people's reactions will be like how do you deal with people's reactions to your brother's death do you avoid them do you are you just like i'm just going to blow through this do you how do you deal with that you know i think it depends I, in, the, in the beginning for for many years no matter what I, I felt like it was the biggest disrespect to him to say no i don't have a i don't have a sibling mm. um so i would say i have a, I have a sibling i and then I started to to tap that sometimes when I just really didn't want to engage. Because yeah. um, sometimes I think, you know, talking about grief and talking about death, sometimes, sometimes it becomes more about someone else's experience and about their reaction. Yeah. Just think it's fair. I don't think anybody owns grief, but sometimes you don't want to participate in someone else's or someone else's reaction. I think that there's always the in the beginning, there's a lot of this feeling of like, oh, I'm so affected by your brother's death. And I mean, he was dating one of my best friends and it, we had a very intertwined world, but there was, there was often this feeling of like, oh, but I don't deserve to feel this deeply as you, or, or I can't, you must be so sad so that my grief doesn't really count because yours is so much more exponential than mine. And I never really, I don't like it. I, I, I've never liked that. I don't, I don't agree with that. I think that everybody gets to grieve in their own way. Um, and it all counts. I think someone someone's death affects you. It it counts. It doesn't matter about the the closeness, or, or the the degree of of how close you were. So yeah, I do I do tell. I would almost always I'll say I had a sibling. I had a brother, and he died when I was younger. It's amazing to me that it's been twenty nine years. Mm. That that sounds like a number that just doesn't even pertain to me. Um, I can't believe it's been that long, but I do, I think also sometimes we'll, I'll, I'll start to talk about, it. I'll meet someone new or it'll come up and, and they'll say, Oh, if you don't want to talk about it, we, we don't have to talk about it. And I'm, my reaction is always, it's not a sensitive subject. I think this goes back to what we were talking about earlier that like any way that I could participate in him, I, I want to, I mm. want, I want to share a story. I want to, that, so I don't, I don't buy away from that in any way. I think that I, if anything, I embrace it more and more mm. because I don't want him to become more distant. And that I find talking about him and having the conversation is helpful. Mm. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So you've been alive without him longer than you were alive with him. Do you remember that point when you kind of got past that halfway mark and you did you like notice that or think about that? It's funny, I didn't. I, I think that I also lose track. You know, in some ways, 
I've always felt like, I guess this goes back a little bit to ritual and a little bit of like the, the day that he died has just never been important to me. I think it's another one of those things that feels very, very random. Um, and so his birthday is something that every year we've really, especially in the beginning, like we would have a big dinner party or we would celebrate his birthday. And I still feel some sense of that. I think that the actual day that he died is, is somewhat off my radar. Mm. And so I've never really counted the years. And I'm only just now aware that it's 29 years that 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 mark just passed because i was recently trying to figure out when it was when the 30 year anniversary was but i don't i haven't i don't have very well marked the date of his death the year of his death i'm not i i just don't pay attention to the milestones so much or i'm not registering them so i it's interesting to hear you say that now Mm. to hear oh it's more than half of the time that i've been alive Mm. that that feels poignant yeah yeah. Well, fascinating. And I, it's funny. I've obviously, I never met your brother. I think I saw a picture of him. I think I saw that picture of him, the one you talked about um, back in the days when we, early in our friendship, when um, we would have conversations about death. And, you know, I definitely remember um, as a young person, just, or younger person, I should say, um, always relating to anyone who, you know, had lost a close family member because I just felt like they understood me and I understood them in a way that a lot of my other friends, you know, couldn't. It was just sort of a level that we could go to that many of my friends couldn't go. So, um, yeah, I think that was a big part of our, of our initial bond. mm -hmm. Absolutely. But I do feel like I had always a sense of your brother. So mm-hmm. it's really nice to talk about him. It's really nice to hear a little bit more about him and um, what a kind of amazing soul he was. And it sounds like he's really inspired you to live, um, you know, the life you've lived. I don't know if it would have been different if you didn't have a brother, but it sounds like he's had a big influence on you. Yeah, for sure. So thank you so much um, for coming on the show. This has been great. Thank you for having me. Thank you for this chat, Anne. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. And tell people about it. Share it. And if you want to leave a comment, please go to my Substack. It's called I'm Listening. And there will be a link in the show notes. And lastly, special thanks to Josephine Wiggs for the intro and outro music. It's from her album, We Fall.